What an honor to be with you tonight. Um, and, you know, before we start talking about all kinds of things, uh, I really do want to pause uh, to commend your leaders to you. John and Debbie Wright are fantastic leaders. And <laughs> truly, I mean, you, you know, I, I get to travel around to be all kinds of different places, and I, I want to commend them to you because they, they love, they love, they love you guys. Uh, they talk about all the different churches uh, in the UK when you're not even there. <laughs> they, they speak highly of you when you're not there. They pray for you. They, they're investigating, and how can they lead differently, and... and uh, you know, I, I, again, I get to be with all kinds of leaders, and there's so many that end up in sort of professional places in ministry, don't they? Um, that somewhere in there, they just get caught in the grind of doing what they do, and they are exceptional leaders. If you don't take time to pray for them and encourage them, you should, because you can be sure that they are getting plenty of discouraging news and attack, uh, maybe even from some of you. So, <laughs> I would first encourage you to repent, and then I would encourage you to pray. That, that I, this is going badly. I'm on. <laughs> but I, I really, honestly, I'm so grateful. And I, I am so uh, encouraged every time I'm here. I mean, just what God is doing in the room tonight. I mean, what, what a place to be. This is so inspiring for me. I, I, I uh, can't stay away mostly because of what I get to take home. Um, I'm so inspired by what God does in these few days we're together. These, these, are, these are dangerous places to be. If you've not adequately calculated the risk, let me help you. Because we, there, are, there are things that happen in rooms like this that like completely change your life. Uh, you know, as a pastor who preaches, you know, every single week and all these, you know, we have different churches that we're planting and, you know, you preach all the time and, and you give your heart, you prepare your messages, you know, your worship teams do all their stuff, but it just is not quite the same as what happens in conferences, is it? Does that bother anyone else that's preaching every week? Like, <laughs> what... Why, why isn't it like this on Sunday? Does that bother anyone else? It should bother you. <laughs> it bothers me. I, what is that? I don't know what that is. I, there's all kinds of explanations, but there's things that happen in rooms like this, and I believe in nights like tonight, that can change your life forever. And that you don't even often come in expecting it. And to be in rooms like this, it is as though you are borrowing everyone else's faith, isn't it? You know, you might come in exhausted and tired and you borrow everyone else's faith. And it's, there's worship teams and there's so much inspiring teaching and all the little ministry moments in the hallway. I mean, you can't even hide in the hallway in places like this. People, people will chase you down and prophesy as you're running through the parking lot. I, there's... There's nowhere to go. You cannot hide. It's remarkable. And I, I, I want to start with confession. 
because I think it might be some of what you experience. It's really what I want to speak to tonight. My confession is this. I'm in rooms like this, and, you know, we have nights and days like we've been having. And I'm so inspired, and I'm so encouraged, and I just think, you know, let the worship never stop, and we're never going to end the ministry, and, and it just kind of keeps going. And then something starts to turn as the day's going on, and especially as I go to sleep at night. Last night, I could not sleep. I kept thinking about all kinds of different things that I've been hearing over the sessions. And something starts to happen where I begin to feel less and less adequate because of how incredibly inspiring the environments are. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm here in worship, and I'm, I'm, I'm this these people playing these stringed instruments. It's just so beautiful. Like, uh, you know, I, I think it's a violin. I don't know anything, but it's, it's a violin or some kind of V-named thing. And she's, she's playing that so beautifully, and she's playing over ministry time, and, you know, and I'm taking these notes in my, my phone, like, get a violin. <laughs> That's... This... This is the missing ingredient. There's something happening. The violin is bringing something. I need one of those. And, you know, and so my, you know, my poor team, you know, my staff back, back in Denver, I start texting things like, does, does anyone know who plays violin? And then, uh, and then I'm looking at whatever this configuration is here. I don't know how such a thing happens. And I start taking pictures of the light, the light I, I think it's a light bar, I don't know. And it's changing colors. And it's just like, that is so great. And I take a picture and I send it to my team. I say, we just do this somehow. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But I need, I need this now. And then, and then <laughs> I hear of, you know, national... National youth conferences. You know, thousands of people were you know, raised money and they, you, changing the generations. I'm like, I, you know, we have to get that. <laughs> I need that. What are we, what are we even doing? What are, I mean, are we, what are we doing? It's not, we're just not good at anything. This is so... <laughs> awful. It just starts to turn. It just twists, right, on the inside. It just starts twisting, and, and every single moment and every single experience, I'm like, oh, we don't, I don't have anything like that. I, I've never even heard of that. I, I, don't even, I didn't even know such a thing existed, and, and the video, the, the revival video, I'm just going, we're just going to play that every week. I, I won't even... I won't even preach. Why would I preach? We're just going to do that, and we're just going to throw ourselves on the ground and cry out for revival. And I, I don't even, it just feels like, ma it's like magic. Like, how does such a thing get produced? Who are these people? And, and, and I, <laughs> I start getting texts back from my team, you know, like, we hate it when you go to these things. This, why, you're, you're not allowed to go anymore. 
You can't go to any of these things. Because, you know, I came in thinking, you know, I think we're, do I think we're doing pretty well. And I become more and more aware of these things. Is this anyone else? This is just me. That's, that's fine. Pray, pray for me. But, you know, I, I guess I just want to speak tonight to those who, well, you just realize you're, you're insecure in areas of where God has asked you to lead. You may even be a reluctant leader. You know, you're in rooms like this and God begins to speak and the very next thing that happens is, ooh, I can't do that. Ugh, I don't even, I don't even know where I'd buy a light bar or a violin. I don't even know, <laughs> how can I do this? There's just no way it can be done. And you know, there, there's, the, there's these people that do these kinds of things, but then there's me. And I, you know, I, I'm barely doing what I'm doing. And then I come here and I hear all these things and these things start flying around in my mind. I mean, can I, can I do this? And of course, there's, there's the never-ending slide in church, at least in America. I've, I've seen bits of it here in the UK where then we try to prop ourselves up with all of these external things, right? Because frankly, we're so insecure. We're so nervous about what we're doing and does it work? There was... There was a church plant in uh, Denver, and they arrived, and they, you know, came and did, were in some of the meetings I was in, and they laid out their strategy. This was their strategy to gather people. Their strategy was um, every month for six months, six months, they raffled off a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. <laughs> now, the way that you got the motorcycle was if you came to church, you were a guest, you got a raffle ticket as a guest. Now, if you didn't win the first month, and, and every week you get a different ticket, so you increase your odds. If you didn't win the first month, those tickets still stay in the raffle for the whole six months. So you have six opportunities to win a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. <laughs> so, so some of you are taking notes. Um, you wanna hear the end of this story before you start writing your staff. So, so, of course, this goes on. By the end of six months, they had 800 people in their church plan, and they raffle off the last Harley. And, of course, I'm with a group of church planters I coach, and these church planters are just, they're just, they're suicidal because uh, they're looking at this leader going, what is this? Like, what have we done? We've done this all wrong. We, you know, we've been praying and Fasting, and what we needed was Harley-Davidson motorcycles. <laughs> and I don't need to tell you what happens within 90 days, the church is cut in half, and then within six months to a year, the church is disintegrated and it's gone. But at least they sewed six Harley-Davidsons into our city. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And listen, we all need to learn wisdom from people that have gone before us, but God save us from the techniques and the methods that simply prop, up, prop us up in the places we're insecure. We can take great encouragement from the Bible. Uh, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. I love, and I love so many things about the Bible, but I, if I'm entirely honest, the thing I think I love about the Bible the most 
is how real the people of the scriptures are. They look like you and me. They ask the questions that we ask. And I'm so encouraged reading the scriptures because the majority of the people in the Bible are just like a total mess. And they ask the questions I'm asking. They have the problems that I have. In, in, in reading their lives, I can see my life and I can see how God interacts with them and it gives me hope that he might even work with me. I want to speak to those that know that God is calling you to more. He is asking you to take a step and you find yourself tripping over yourself. I want to read to us from Exodus chapter 33. Um, As a preacher, I always pray and ask God for what text to teach, what it is that he wants to say. I would love to be able to tell you. I wish I could tell you that every single time a text, you know, just appears ex nihilo, like out of, like the mist. Uh, But honestly, often it does not. I I can say that for this time tonight, it was as clearly as I've maybe ever heard one text come to my heart and my mind for what to share with you tonight. And so I have supreme confidence that God will do what happens in this text tonight for, for many of us. Exodus chapter 33, it's of course, we're going to look at Moses. Moses has seen a series of miracles They're moving towards the promised land, and the next command is that you're to enter. And Moses, of course, freaks out. Exodus 33, verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, Teach me your ways so that I, might, that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Moses has seen miracle after miracle after miracle. He has seen God just continually uh, move in front of them, protect them from behind, and lift him as a leader. And yet, at the next step, the next thing, He starts a dialogue and says, I'm going to need a little bit more. I'm going to need a little bit more in order to take the next step. And he starts repeating back to God things that he knows that God has said to him, and he's finding ways to try to wriggle out of it and or make sure that he gets enough to do the next thing. It's a little dialogue. And the dialogue that Moses has here sounds strangely familiar to me. It sounds like the dialogue I have often. And frankly, I think the dialogue that anyone who seriously wants to follow Jesus has at different moments and times in their life. Now, the first thing that he says is a really simple thing. He listens, he repeats back to God what he's heard. You have been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. See, God, you're telling me you want me to lead these people, but I know I don't have what it takes, and you're not putting the people around me that I need in order to accomplish the task. If I was simply 
more qualified, or you could just tell me who's going to go with me, it would give me the confidence to do this. Anyone ever said this? Anyone ever said, listen, I'm totally up for this. I'm just going to need a few details. (laughs) Detail one, why me? Detail two, surely there is more than me because I'm not prepared or ready to do this. Listen, if you find yourself in that place, we can go all the way through the Bible and see how many people fit this category. Uh, this This is a natural first place to start. I don't think I'm adequate and I need some other people or I'm not sure I'm going to do it. Um, I can remember for me, probably the first time that I had like a real clear sense that God might be calling me into ministry was I was attending uh, the Columbus Vineyard, uh, a pastor by a guy named Rich Nathan, and some of you might know Rich. Uh, He's a really intense guy, like really intense and I only knew him from watching him preach, which even that's intense. You know, he kind of stalks around the stage like a, like a lion, you know. And so I just even from a distance thought, this is an intense guy. I was leading a small group and waiting tables and trying to finish university. And out of nowhere, out of nowhere, I have a voicemail from Rich Nathan, from Rich Nathan, calling me, small group leader. I was 19, and all it says is, hi, Jay, this is Rich Nathan, we need to meet. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, my first thought was, my sin has been revealed. <laughs> and I was, I was just trying to think through which sin, you know, like, how do I, how do I get ahead of this? <laughs> Who should I confess to? How will this go? And um, so, you know, I call up to his secretary. I get, you know, I get the appointment. I show up to his office. Again, not ha- having had a, like a conversation um, before. We talked maybe once in a hallway or something. And so he says, uh, hey, let's go for a walk. Let's walk around outside. So we, we go for this walk around the parking lot you know, where all the cars are, and we're just walking. And he's asking me questions. So, you know, how long have you come to church? And so you're studying philosophy, that's great, and you'll graduate when, and so and he's just asking these questions, and, and I'm thinking any minute now, you know, it's when he's gonna <laughs> dial in on my, on my sin. And, and finally, after like an hour of this, I said, you know, Rich, this is great. I'm, I'm really enjoying our walk. This is... <laughs> Great. I, I, I actually have no idea what we're doing, like none. And he went, what do you mean you don't have any idea what we're doing? I go, I, you, he says, I didn't tell you in the voicemail. I said, you said nothing. You literally said nothing. I have no idea what we're doing. He said, oh, well, I'd like to hire you to be my intern. And you would work for me, and you would help do research for books, and you, know, you could travel with me, and I'd love to just have you as my intern and to train you and teach you. And I went, really? I, um, why? I, 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 uh, I don't, 
uh, at the time, I, wasn't, I didn't think I was going to do ministry. I was saying I thought I'd be a lawyer. I said, well, why, why? Why would you do that? And he said, well, honestly, Jay, um, there's people much more qualified than you. <laughs> I've had many of them applying. But I thought, I thought uh, it would be you. And I said, why? He said, well, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things you can teach. There's something you can't teach, and that's someone that has a hunger and thirst for the Lord. And I see you as someone that's hungry for God. You want what God has for your life. And so I would love for you to be my intern. And my hunch is um, it's, you know, it's just not going to go that well. <laughs> but that's Okay. I think the Lord's with you. So, you know, it'll work out. So, you know, I went home unsure of how to process that. Uh, I was unsure of, um, should that be an encourage? I think, it's, I think he's encouraging me. I think he's encouraging me. But, man, it, there was something in it where I felt, I did feel affirmed by the Lord because I did feel the Lord calling me to lead, and it was the first time I think it became really clear to me that it probably isn't about me. That somehow God chooses to call us into things that he knows that we are not adequate for, that we will always learn to depend on him. That's the next thing that happens, of course. This is where Moses says, if you're pleased with me, Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Moses effectively says, I know that I've had favor, but I need to guarantee that you're going to continue to give me favor. And we go along often as leaders and we have the favor of the Lord in our life. We're doing all kinds of interesting things. And I, I felt very clearly for us tonight, there's some of you that Honestly, God has done more than you ever would have imagined possible. But he's tonight and over these days asking you to do more. He's asking you maybe even to plant another church, to send another church plant, to take another risk. And you say, well, I would need to know that the favor I've had to this point, I'm promised to have moving forward. So as long as God promises me that what has happened at this point will be as successful moving forward, then I am willing to take a risk. But until that's assured, I'm not sure that I want to do that. And that I, I really need a, a greater sense of adequacy in order to do that. Um, I, I, uh, I, I, with a friend of mine, wrote a book called uh, The Art of Neighboring. And this friend of mine, Dave, and I wrote this book. And uh, if you've not read it, I, I'll give you the highlights now. Uh, you, you might not have to. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> just being honest, the, the, the gist is this. We, we pretty much just you know, made it you know, like a tic-tac-toe board, said that your house is the middle house. The, the home, the squares around it are the uh, people that live around you. Do you know their names? What are the names of those people? If you don't know their names, you should know their names. 
because the great commandment says love God and love your neighbor, and they're your neighbors, so you should do that. <laughs> and then once you, once you do that, you should like get to know them a little more, have them over for a meal, start to pray, and ask God to do stuff in their life. And if everybody did that, it could change the world. Uh, the initial draft for our book was uh, 65 pages. Our, our publisher said, do you need 200? <coughs> so we just told lots of stories. And then we had a book. Well, doing... <laughs> I mean, this is how it went. But doing that book opened us to all kinds of different networks of pastors and government leaders all over the country. Different cities started to take our book and gather pastors and government leaders and mayors and city managers. And so we've been in 70 some different cities working with government leaders and pastors. And, you know, I mean, it's it's unbelievable what's happening. Uh, uh, One of the largest things we did was in a city in Texas. And we're in this thing, and it's, you know, 4,000 pastors, government leaders. They asked us to come lead it. And, you know, there's like a famous American football player and the governor and the police chief. And, and they're doing all that, you know, and we're going to bring our city together by knowing our neighbors and being together. And we're on the stage, and I'm like, this is like the best. And we walk away from that meeting, and we went and had dinner with the pastor who was leading this meeting. And the pastor at dinner says, guys, what a great meeting. Wasn't that great? I go, that was incredible. He goes, man, you know, I bet you never imagined the impact of, you know, your book being this. I said, no, we never imagined. I mean, this is outrageous. And he said, yeah, you know, what's interesting about you guys, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's done more with less. (laughs) Than you. I don't think I've ever met anyone that's done more with less, ever. I've never, I, I can't even imagine what that'd be like. I mean, and he, and he just kept going. We're having this dinner. He's like, you know, I mean, you pretty much have a tic-tac-toe, you have like a magnet that you turned into a book. It's like you could just, you could probably write that book in a, you know, about 30 pages. And we said, well, we wrote it in 60, you know, and and it's, you know, and, and, and he just kind of keeps going. And I, I don't know if he's enjoying it. I don't know what, what's happening. But we're sitting there, and I'm just feeling smaller and smaller. And I, you know, we, and we walk out of that meeting, and then, you know, and, and we had more invitation. You know, hey, let's go and do this in other cities. I thought, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to do this. This is, this, is really, this is really strange. I feel really small. Uh, and, and, I, and, and listen, I, it sounds funny now, but I, I don't know if you've ever had a moment where somebody says something to you, it's kind, of, it's kind of discouraging. It's confusing to you. It hits you sideways, and then it just starts kind of looping in your mind. Have you ever had this happen? Someone comes up, and they're like, you know, that was, that was better than most sermons. <laughs> what? Was, was that, a, that was an encouragement. I think you were trying to encourage me. Yeah, it was better than most, you know, it was, it was, it was, you know, it was great. What does that mean? What does that mean? I don't know what that means. And so this is looping in my mind. And I went to my, my wife, Danielle, and I said, you know, this guy said like, he said this to us. He said, you know, I don't know anybody's ever done more with less. I, I don't know how to feel about that. And she goes, well, that's true, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not that, 
No, wait, what? I think you're, this is, you're supposed to help. I think you're supposed to help me. But it's true, right? I mean, it's true. And, and, here, and here's the double-edged sword. I mean, this is how it works with favor, right? Like, like, like this is the point where the preacher now is supposed to tell you, if you feel inadequate, let me tell you, you are adequate. And let me just tell you, you might not be. You might not be. You might have what amounts to like a tic-tac-toe board of information that you've stretched into like a ministry. You know, like you have... <laughs> I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. It's just possible that what you have is what you have. But, you know, what happened in that week, I mean, I was, I was genuinely distraught in a very prophetic person who's a friend wrote me an email, and literally the first line was, uh, there's almost no one that's done more with less than you. <laughs> and I thought, this is coming from everywhere. There's nowhere to escape this. And then he went on to say, because it is the favor of the Lord. It's the favor of the Lord. And listen, it's emotional for me even now. When you start to say, it really doesn't matter what I have or don't have. It isn't for me to protect. It isn't for me to manage. It is just the favor of the Lord. What else is there? What else is there? I mean, listen, even some of you that are thinking, no, Jay, I actually have quite a bit. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's just not that great. It's the favor of the Lord. And so in the middle of all of this dialogue, when the, when the Lord finally speaks, and he does all his things, how's favor work and who's going to be with me? What does the Lord say? This is the verse that uh, I believe is from the Lord for us tonight. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And something lands in Moses, right, where he goes, oh, that's what I needed. I, I was talking about any number of things. Oh, that's what I needed. And he immediately responds to it. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go up with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What else will distinguish us if not the presence of God? I don't want to go up from here if you don't go with me. I don't want to do anything that you aren't with me by your presence. And all of this inadequacy brings Moses to the point of going, I see it. This is what I want. This is what I need. I am not defined by all of the things I try to do. I'm not defined by my talents. I'm not defined by the people that will go with me. I'm not defined because I'm wise enough to know the plan even though that's what I asked for, even though that's what I think I want. What I really want, what I really need is your presence. We had a church planning conference 
just a couple weeks ago uh, in the States, we had a guy come in, a very good friend, Drew Hyun from New York City, and he spoke to a room full of church planters, and his only points were this in his sermon. You know, you're trying to get everybody motivated. Let's plant some churches, guys. We could do this. Generations are dying, you know, and let's do this. He gets up and preaches. Here were his, his five points. Life is hard. You're not that important. It's not about you. You are not in control. You will die. <laughs> that was his talk. And, and listen, if you hear that through the lens of like wanting something, you, you, you can hear it, it's pretty discouraging. But if you can embrace that this is true, it's incredibly freeing. It's incredibly freeing. That really, my job is to place myself before God and to ask for his presence, to be a person that stewards and walks in and lives in the presence of God. And that I, I just look so much better than I really am. And a few people get close up and they go, you're not that interesting. How did, how did all this happen? You go, I do, I'm not entirely sure. This, it must be the Lord. It must be the Lord. It must be the grace of God in my life. Uh, isn't that so much more interesting a life to live? Isn't that freeing? Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I've been sharing my faith with one guy for 12 years, pretty much every other week, getting together with him, sharing my faith, talking to him about Jesus, praying for him fervently, and he just, like, he's actually just over 11 of those years just got progressively worse. He, he just, it wasn't like he was moving towards Jesus. It was as though he was becoming increasingly hostile. And, but somehow he'd keep hanging out with me, and, and I would keep sharing, and it was so discouraging. And it was about a year ago, we were running an alpha course, and I just made my list of all the people I'd pray for. I said, I'm going to invite these 12 people who just aren't going to come to Christ anyway. So let's just invite them to the Alpha Course. Why not? And sure enough, this guy, along with five of those people, came to the Alpha Course. And he walks in, and I thought, this is his first and last week. You know, the people on this video are just so happy. <laughs> he won't be able to endure it. He will run for the hills. He might not even make it through the video. They're, they're, you know, so, and he does. And he goes through the entire Alpha course. And at the weekend away, the Spirit of God falls on him. And he gives his life to Christ. And it was like, what is happening? I could not get my mind around it. It was like mind-blowing. And so he comes to Christ. He's baptized. He's the whole thing. And so we finally go and we get a cup of coffee and I look at him and I say, what happened? How did this happen? I mean, he goes, oh man, you know, here's, you know, the, the Lord spoke to me and he lays everything out. I'd, I'd already heard it like three times, but he lays it all out and I'm crying and he's crying. And I said, no, no, but I guess I'm asking a different question. I'm asking, you know, you know, we, you know I've been with you for 11 years. consistently praying, sharing my faith. 
And then you came, you know, to the, to the thing and... And then you, you know, you give your life to Christ. It's amazing. I just was wondering how, you know, how did all that work together for you? Is there anything you want to say about that? <laughs> and he could see, he could see it. He could see it so fast. And he goes, "Well, what do you want? What do you want me? To, what do you want me to say?" I said, "I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to <laughs> figure it out." And he went, "Are you upset? Are you upset? <laughs> Are you upset that I gave my life to Christ now?" It's like, I mean, I would, I wouldn't say I'm upset. That way, that's sort of a, just trying to piece it together. That's all. And, and he went, I don't know. I have no idea how any of this works. I mean, I don't know. And even, even in the middle of it, I had to be like, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't understand how any of this works. I don't. Do you know how any of this works? Like there's. There's like faithful, and, and then the Holy Spirit, seemingly out of nowhere, appears through videos, for God's sake, through videos. Like, what is happening? This is so, I mean, like, I, you know, so much judgment. It's like, this is wrong. This is wrong. Lord, don't you, what about me, Lord? Because it's not about you, it's not about me. You are entirely inadequate. And if you are adequate, it's probably not the calling of God. If you're adequate, it's not the call of God in your life. There has to be a gap so that you go through this humbling place to where course, if you don't know how the scripture continues. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. By the way, that's the same thing that God had been repeating to Moses earlier. He just says it again. And if you haven't figured this out in your life with God, God is incredibly repetitive. I mean, like, shockingly so. Like, I, I, I mean, like, at every place that you're like, I don't know, what's this, what about me, and how's this going to work? Nearly always, nearly always, the thing that the Lord comes to say is, I'm pleased with you. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I find favor with you. I love you. And nearly always... Isn't that all you really need? Is that that 15-inch gap gets closed from your head to your heart, and it's closed by what Moses says next, which I warn you is a dangerous thing to say to the living God. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And what God says next it's really interesting. We don't have adequate time to discuss it all, but God shows up and pretty much says, I can't do that in the way you asked it because you would die. That's literally what he says. So what I'll do instead is I'm going to set up this kind of weird thing where you look through a crack and I will, literally, the literal translation of the text is, I will show you my backside as I pass by. Literally, that's literally what it says. 
So, you know, if you were, if you were looking for an interesting text to consider. Now, what's interesting, and this is how, this is how I'll finish, is when the writers of the New Testament consider this text and other texts like it, the writers of the New Testament show up and tell us something uh, about this prayer, show me your glory. Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says this, comparing the way we come to God with the way Moses came to God. It says this, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. He's referring, of course, to Mount Sinai. To a trumpet blast or to a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear, but you, but you here tonight. You have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, how much less shall will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate that the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. And here it is. Here it is. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What you need, what I need, is the presence of God. We need God to come and speak to us. We need to cultivate a lifestyle in his presence. Lay down your inadequacy. Lay down your stupid negotiations and say, show me your glory, O Lord. Give me what I do not have in and of myself, and then he will get all the glory. Amen? Why don't we stand together? Because now is the time. So, let's wait for a moment. And in this time of waiting, before the Lord, I want to encourage you to put, to put your own dialogue before the Lord. The places where you say, I know you've asked me to lead, but what about? 
the places you say, can, you just, can I just get a few guarantees in here? I just need one or two. The places of frustration where you're saying, I, I just, Lord, I, I, I've, I'm trying. This is just not working. It's worked in the past. It's not working now. For it's possible the God of heaven and earth has prepared you for a time such as this. To be humbled adequately to receive a fresh infilling of his spirit. So just now, as we're quiet, before we ask for him to do that, why don't you just place all that before God? even in your mind's eye. Put before him some things you're wrestling with to lead, to risk. Just put them, just say, have this, have this person, have this ministry, have the church, have it back. Have this call. And now I say what is true because of Jesus Christ. He is well pleased with you. And you have found favor in his sight. And the favor of the Lord is upon you. And I, says the Lord, will give you my presence. And I will give you rest. And so now, Lord, we say, show us your glory. Let your kingdom come. Let your spirit be poured out in this place. In every crack, in every crevice of our life, the places where we are weak and we are afraid, pour the oil of your spirit. Come, Lord. Those places where we say, I I can't do the next thing. Come now. Come. Hmm. I have real faith tonight that uh, many of you are saying, I I sense the Lord. I, I know exactly what he's asking. He's even now starting to pour his spirit upon you. But the Lord is so gracious that uh, I think he'll even perf- just confirm it prophetically tonight. And so uh, if, if you're placing like a real call before God, a next step, a sacrifice, or real inadequacy, like it, it actually just loops in your mind, you need God to come with his presence. Uh, we're going to take some risks tonight prophetically. We're going to prophesy one to another. And uh, if, we, if we miss, we'll just say... That was a weird night. (laughs) But if we hit, and if the Lord speaks, 
Clearly, listen, this is, this is a serious thing. You are accountable, aren't you? <laughs> You're accountable, and the Lord will remind you of it. So if you're looking, you're saying, okay, I'm, I'm aware of, Cole, I, I really do need the presence of God to fill and to confirm a clear sense of calling. Uh, why don't you, it, we'll, we'll fill up the front, I imagine, but we'll, we'll do our best. Why don't, you, why don't you come up right now and you say, show me your glory. <laughs>